I am so excited about this uh, series. I say this before every new series. Do you know, I've, I found this to be true. If your pastor is not excited about the series, why should I expect you to be excited about the series? I mean, that's part of the problem in the pulpit. If pastors aren't excited about what they're talking about, then nobody's going to be excited. I am excited about what I'm talking about, which is why I always want to tear the clock off the back wall so that I have more time to share with you. It's why my dear mother stays for three services because I never know what's going to come out of my mouth three different times I try to preach the same message. Mom's like, I actually appreciated service two this time. Why didn't you talk about that in service three or service one? Um, so anyway, I, I, I'm going to try to just release what God has put in my heart and um, and uh, sometimes I like first, honestly, you ready for this? Sometimes I do best first service, and then I screw up the other two services, and I'm sorry. Uh, so you guys are getting the best wine before. Uh, yeah. Uh, but you also have the tightest window, so I have to just abruptly stop, which ticks me off. Third service, they stay here till 3 or 4 o'clock. I'm just kidding. They, they really don't. They really don't. I just drove everybody away from third service right there. Uh, let me mention quickly, Polish Silver coming up this Wednesday. It's going to be a great, great time. Come on out for that. And uh, I just have to also mention, you know, we're talking about bringing Jesus to work. And uh, what's beautiful about the marketplace is it's the convergence of three main areas. It's government, it's business, it's, 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 it's where we spend most of our time during the week, and it's education. How many of you know those three tributaries form the heartbeat of the marketplace. And can I just share with you, if the church doesn't reach the marketplace, we will never accomplish the grand vision that God has given us. Now, I'm going to share some paradigm-shaking stuff with you. I believe it's critical if the church could make these shifts in our mind about how we do what we do, I believe it would, it would change America, it would change the world. That, you're going, Pastor, that's a pretty big statement. It is a big statement, and I, and I believe, give me six weeks. We're going to preach all the way up till Christmas, all right, uh, just before Christmas, on, on what you do every day of the week, all right? Now, a few years back, actually uh, for Greg and, and Debbie Aguilera, our, those that are in our, our uh, Celebrate Recovery ministry, where are you guys at out there? I was looking at my notes. It was September of 2013 that I actually preached a series called Road to Recovery. It was a 12-week series. The reason I preached for 12 weeks on Road to Recovery is because we were launching Celebrate Recovery here at our church. Y'all remember that? And so actually, according to my notes, we're coming up to a decade um, uh, in 2013, uh, which is crazy. Amen. Give you guys a round of applause. That's a, that's a decade of ministering to those with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and, uh, which is, by the way, all of us, and, um, and doing an amazing job. In fact, we just had an incredible breakfast for veterans on Saturday. I want to give yourselves a hand. I want to thank our veterans and thank Celebrate Recovery for that. But, but here's, here's what was behind it. I, we preached into the series into the ministry because I wanted you to connect the dots and understand, like, why, we, why do we do Celebrate Recovery? And I think we had such a successful launch with such an amazing leadership team that, how many of you know, 10 years later, it's still going. It's still going very strong. Now, I want to do the same thing with our market share ministry. I just want to say this loudly and clearly. Our market share ministry, I believe, is going to be absolutely significant, strategic, valuable uh, in us accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish in this region and in the nations of the world. And so we're starting the series today, bringing Jesus to work, um, comma again, uh, we had an election, by the way. We spent a lot of time praying and working, 
and uh, had an amazing night with the candidates uh, and worship and prayer and just blessing the candidates. Uh, we had three folks from Living Stones that were running for public office. Uh, two of them for uh, two out of the three for school board ran great races, did very very well. Came up short. I know all about that. Got a couple silver medals myself, hanging in somewhere in the closet. Actually, actually, I do not. You never hang up silver medals in your closet, and they don't actually give out silver medals in the political arena. So I just thought I'd share that. But I know what it's like to come in second. And we had some really, really great candidates who ran strong races and came in second this time. But we did have our very own Tim Vassar, who uh, was elected into office. Uh, Tim, if you'll stand up. So pray for Tim as uh, he has a very important role now of serving the Crown Point school system and all the students that are involved in that. And I can't think of a more qualified person to do it. May the Holy Spirit grace you with wisdom and strength and the joy of the Lord. Amen. Let me get back here. Bringing Jesus to work. How many of you know when you read through the book of Acts, which should be our model? Can I just share that? Acts should be our model. It's not a book that's irrelevant because Jesus isn't alive or doing things anymore. It's, our, it's a template. In fact, the Bible says these are the things Jesus began to do and teach, all right? He began to do and teach. That means we are the continuation of the ministry of Jesus of what he began to do and teach, all right? So we got to get this, and there's some critical principles that I think we need to focus on as we look at this church that was not only changing people, but how many know it was changing communities? What good is a Holy Spirit-filled church in a community that might be demonized and oppressed? In other words, if, we're, if the Holy Spirit's powerful and dynamic here, but we can't take him with us, what good is it? And we could have the most dynamic worship services, but if we're not impacting out there, how I many you know something's hollow? Like, it's, it, like, who cares if we felt goosebumps at church? If uh, the presence of God in our, in our lives and through our lives is almost negligible out in the marketplace. And so I want to challenge you, even this morning, with a paradigm shift in how we think about church, how we approach the church. Because what I see when I read the book of Acts is I see not a bunch of meetings happening, but I see a movement happening. In other words, it wasn't about just everybody coming and being under one roof and hanging out. They did that. But the result of those meetings were transformation. There was a movement that was taking place in the community that, that could not be missed. It was so, the presence of God's people was so powerful and so tangible, you could not ignore the church. And how many of you know the church in America today is almost irrelevant? Uh, people are like, the church, what's that? What do you guys do over there? Oh, great. Uh, it's kind of like a little social club or something. How many of you know that should not be the case at all? The church in the book of Acts was turning the nation upside down. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus is after today. Not a bunch of passive church goers, but an active church that's engaged. And how many of you know movements don't have members? They have participants. They have partners. And so here, here's what I'm sharing with you today. If your conception of church has been somewhere that you come one day a week to hang out, read the Bible, hear the Bible, and then you go back with life as usual... Uh, that is a wrong, wrong conception. In fact, we've trained you to be passive, you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, passive watchers, look, uh, on watchers, lookers of ministry instead of people who understand you're called to do, you're called to be like the centerpiece of ministry. And so it requires a big shift in our hearts to move from being just showing up at the football field and watching the game to, to realizing we're all supposed to be on the field, uh, not just sitting in the stands watching.
Let's turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse, starting on verse 41, because I want to highlight some of the principles that are behind Jesus' missionary vision that would one day span the globe. I just want to share with you, all across the world right now, people have awakened this morning on this first day of the week to worship Jesus. There's followers of Christ in every nation of the world. The church is gathering this morning in every nation of the world. We are an unstoppable movement on planet Earth. We're the greatest thing since sliced bread on planet Earth, I'm just telling you. It's the church of Jesus Christ. We're the most relevant gathering on planet Earth. We are Jesus' plan A. He has no plan B. Jesus shed his blood for all of us right here today. He sent his Holy Spirit to empower everybody in this room today. He has a massive mission for everybody in this room. And guess what? We've already read the end of the book. We win. We're unstoppable on planet Earth. So I'm just telling you we're part of the most victorious, awesome gathering of people purchased by the blood of Jesus and by his mercy and kindness and goodness that the earth has ever seen. And as soon as we understand that, we're going to be really dangerous to the devil. All right? So take a look at Acts chapter 2. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 and all. How I many of this is the birth of the church? And I want you to know who is leading the charge. Is it one of the clergymen? No, it's a guy who ran a fishing business, who was a chicken and who denied Christ and who felt like he was worthless and had nothing to offer until he was radically encountered by the Holy Spirit. And God's using the CEO of, of uh, Perch for You, all right, down the street. I don't know what his business was. But God is using one of the most unlikely people to launch a global enterprise. This guy had no formal theological training. He knew how to clean stinky fishing nets. In fact, Jesus, how many of you know a couple different times Jesus got Peter because he was fishing all night and caught nothing? And then Jesus had this great idea, throw the net on the other side. Peter's rolling his eyes. <laughs> Jesus, stay in your lane, dude. You, don't, you know nothing about fishing. And, uh, and then Jesus showed him, oh, no, actually, I know quite a lot about fishing, and I'm going to up your game. We're going to move from fishing for fish to fishing for people. But I, I want to just pause here. Jesus is using a marketplace leader. Not a religious guy. He's not wearing any gowns or robes or clerical collars or anything like that. It's a, he's using a marketplace guy. How many of you work in the marketplace all week long? Wave, wave, wave at me if it's you. Aha. Get your arms up high. You go to, you're going to go to work tomorrow. Wave, wave at me if that's you. Aha. Look at all of you. You're the kind of person Jesus used to start a movement. I mean, just let that sink. And turn to your neighbor and say, hey, listen, pastor's talking to you. Wake up. Tell him, all right? Tell your neighbor. All right, good. It's making sure. Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Verse 43, and a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, wow, each day, the Lord added 
to their fellowship, those who were being saved. How many of you know this is a movement happening that was taking over the city in which Jesus Christ, their leader, was brutally beaten, tortured, and crucified, and God chose that place to, to, to birth a global missionary movement, all right? Let's take a look at some principles that I think are stuff we can glean from this passage as it relates to the local church and as it relates to our identity and calling. First of all, I want you to, to think with me of the local church as a primarily a training center. It says here, all the believers devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching. So what's happening here? When the church comes together, they're coming together corporately to be trained and equipped, much like a football coach would be training the team and plays, and, and, and this is like the locker room. We're going to have some halftime adjustments. This was a gathering, not of unbelievers primarily, although unbelievers are always welcome to come, but I want you to see this was a gathering of believers who were coming together to be equipped Equipped for what? Equipped to go do the ministry. Now, many of you came from churches where the salvation message was preached every Sunday. What I'm trying to share with you is I'm not sure that that strategy is actually Jesus' strategy and that it's effective because after you've been following Christ for 20 or 30 years, you kind of know what the salvation message is. And it assumes that we're supposed to be bringing lost people into here so that your pastor can tell them about Jesus when I think what Jesus had in mind was that your pastor would equip you to tell people about Jesus where you spend the bulk of your time. So we've had this whole movement called the seeker-sensitive movement where our whole goal was try to dumb the church down so much that lost people would stumble in and, we, and they wouldn't feel uncomfortable or awkward. I'm not sure that worked real well. What if the church gathered for Jesus to honor the Holy Spirit and to honor the Word and to be equipped to take the anointing and the power and the presence of Jesus with us wherever we go? What a strategy. In fact, I'm going to go right now. Colin, I just saw this video yesterday. It sent chills down my spine because I think Jesus has a much better strategy. It's a secret weapon strategy. Jesus wants you to show up in places that only you're going to be showing up. I would never go there, or I, would, I wouldn't have that access, but you do. And Jesus actually had this vision to scatter his church everywhere in culture to be a witness. Now, I can't think of a more unusual location for this person to be planted than in an MMA fighting ring. But how many of you know Jesus has secret weapons stationed everywhere? Check this out. This was awesome. Let me tell you one more thing. This might be the most important thing you'll ever hear. 
there is true freedom, a freedom that no one can take from you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here God puts an Iranian MMA fighter who takes a little window after winning a fight to speak to his countrymen who are fighting for freedom, but to remind them that true freedom comes in Jesus Christ. This is a country that they're killing people for the sake of Islam. And this man just preached the gospel to all his Iranian friends and family and countrymen who are cheering him on because they're identifying with his nationality. And he just got done fighting a guy in a ring. And we wouldn't think this would be Peter or Paul or one of the anointed messengers of the gospel. He's not wearing a clerical gown or standing behind a pulpit. He's in a ring. He's sweating. But he just declared that freedom comes through Jesus Christ. And he did it in a way that I think just snuck up completely on the devil. Now, what he just did could get him, him and his family killed. But I wonder how many people just heard that gospel in the marketplace, watching something that was supposed to be benign, and yet it was a man who was, loves Jesus and full of the Holy Spirit, and God used him to declare the truth. I think that was a lot like what happened with Peter on, on the day of Pentecost. Here's this guy up there, no shirt on, sweaty, tired, uh, I think Peter probably didn't fit the bill of the typical Pharisee, right? The religious guy, probably wearing some work clothes, maybe smelled like fish. But I may know when the Holy Spirit comes on a normal person, they become really powerful in the hands of the Lord. I believe the local church is where we're supposed to be trained. And I want you to notice, sometimes people, they go to two extremes. Either they attack the local gathering. Oh, that's not biblical. We're not all supposed to come together. Uh, or they, they worship like home groups and all that kind of stuff. Or they don't do home groups. They just do the church thing on Sunday. How many know the Bible has a one-two punch? They worshiped in the temple together. They worshiped in homes all across the community. How many know it's not either or? It's both. There's something powerful that happens when we come together. In fact, Ephesians 4 says that the church exists, fivefold ministry exists to train and equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. So there's a training component and a corporate anointing that is powerful. But this should not be the focal point of your life and your ministry. That's what I'm trying to say. This is not the focal point of your life and ministry. The focal point is understanding who you are, what God has called you to be, where he's planted you right now, and recognizing he's trying to do something kingdom, something supernatural where you're sent. Every day you're going off to ministry. Tomorrow morning you're going off to ministry. Do you see it like that? You're going off tomorrow to, to spend probably 40, 50, 60 hours in the place you're going tomorrow morning. Do you see it as the ministry hub of your life? I'm trying to tell you I think you should. Let's look at our failed strategy here real quick, and I got to go fast because you guys are talking way too much. All right. Our failed strategy. Point number one, we try to get lost people to come to church so your pastor can lead them to Christ. That's fine. Please, if you don't know Christ today, we're glad that you're here. And yes, we want to pray with you. We got all kinds of folks that will pray with you today. But how about, you know, stop trying to drag unsaved people to the four walls of the church, and why don't you take Jesus with you right where they're at? And love them and be equipped to share Christ with them. Every one of us should be equipped to share the gospel with every one of our friends and neighbors. 
How about this? We create special evangelism teams where we go out to witness to total strangers. And most Christians run from that, as you should. Why would you want to go up and try to witness to total strangers who we have zero relationship with? Now, how many of you know God can use that? But let me ask you this question. Why would God not use you and me to witness to the people that we know the best and who know us the best, and we already have an incredible relationship with them? Instead of going up to your neighbors or some neighborhood you've never been in. Hi there, who are you? Well, I'm here and you're going to try to share the most intimate thing ever in the world with these people who don't know you from Adam. What if we just love people really well that are already in our relational sphere? Sounds more like kingdom to me. The most reliable predictor of conversion is relationships, especially pre-existing positive relationships. Who's going to listen to you? People who like you. Ah, there's the problem. (laughs) Maybe we need to be more like Jesus in the first place. Because then people want to hear what we have to say because our lives are so compelling. And people love being around us. How about this? Let's make Sunday the show, our main focus. You know there are churches that spend thousands and thousands of dollars on Sunday morning service and production. Can I just share something with you? I never want Sunday morning to feel like a show. This is not a production. Lights, camera, action, smoke, mirrors. No! This is like real life, organic. We're real people who love Jesus, and we're so open to what he wants to do. Why are we spending all this time and money trying to make Sunday morning, whoa, shock and awe, when we should be spending resources trying to love and equip people to get them healed and restored and get marriages healed so we can go be the church? Oh, here's a good one. Let's encourage people to compete for ministry titles and roles within the church. How come she's up there on the piano? I can play piano better than her. How come they didn't pick me for that job? Pastor, where can I serve? How about where you spend 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week? That's a great place. We're going to call you ministry CEO. You want a big title? We'll give you a big title. Now, listen, please hear me. We want everybody to find some way to love people here at the church. But this is about this part big of your life. You're looking for me or somebody else to give you a title to make you feel like a religious, important person. Jesus already died for you. What more do you need? Why don't you go be that anointed person where you spend the most time? Like, how about this? How about at home? I'm stepping on some toes here this morning. How many know the reason we minister to marriages and families first is because if it's not working at home, it rings hollow out there. So it's got to flow out of your real-life relationships, not this religious shock and awe. Woo! No. How about the shock and awe when you wake up on Monday and you spend time with Jesus and you ask him to use you 
And you ask him to help you love people. And you ask him to give you a heart to serve people around you so that they go, wow, that Carrie guy, man. Carrie, every time Carrie shows up, the man is full of the joy of the Lord. That's it. He, I don't know what it is, man. There's something different about that guy. And guess what? He pays his bills on time. Wow. And he shows up early. Wow. And he's a man of his word. Wow. Now when Carrie says, let me tell you about Jesus, you're like, yeah, tell me more. Not, hey, dude, pay your bill first. Or why don't you work hard? Or, yeah, I understand what I'm talking about here. It's like, why don't we, with integrity, maximize the relationships that God's placed around us right now? That is your biggest ministry field. Let's take a more biblical approach here. How about if we train and equip people for the marketplace as ministry partners? How about this? Not parishioners. People say, well, pastor, how many parishioners do you have at your church? None. I don't want any parishioners. I just want ministry partners. I'm not here to entertain you every week. We're not here to solve all your problems. But we are looking for people who want to partner in the gospel and go make a difference and join Jesus and what he's doing in the world. So I'd rather say, well, how many partners do you have at your church? Thousands of them. We're dangerous to the devil. Our church, our church is dangerous to the devil. How about... How about we lead our coworkers to Christ through lifestyle evangelism? We stop trying to have programs. Now, listen, programs are okay. We've all been to religious programs where people give their life to Christ. Praise the Lord. But you are the program. I mean, and I just say, I hope this challenges you. I just say, you're the program. You're Jesus' evangelism program. So here's what I find in church. You know, Pastors just don't get us guys that work in the marketplace. I mean, we're, we're, all they seem to care about is we're here to write the checks. Look, can I just liberate all of you? That's, I don't see any of you as a giant paycheck. But here's the, other, here's the other side. What I'm asking you to do today, most people don't want any part of. Pastor, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I just want to come to church. Put my, don't mess with me throughout the week. See, I, I was just picking on Carrie over here. Carrie has a second-generation electrician business. His father started, now passing on to his son. What I just said to Carrie is that that business belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the CEO. And Carrie's job is to love all of his employees and all of his business vendors and to so bring Jesus into the arena of the marketplace in the electrical world that when somebody's dealing with a crisis, how many know the pain is in the marketplace? And the problems are in the marketplace. And people are looking for somebody who looks like them, smells like them, works like them, does, speaks the language that they speak, because that person's a natural bridge to the gospel. And I'm trying to tell you this was Jesus' plan all along. And can I just tell you that there are many people who aren't interested in the plan. They just want to go to church on Sunday and then leave me alone. So I'm, I'm really challenging you to a massive paradigm shift. And I'm challenging you to own the mission. Because in case you haven't checked recently, the church in America is getting her butt kicked. And I believe it's because we got to get back to the model. And we've got to own what Jesus has called us to, to, to own. And we've got to follow him and not look at just pastors or clergy folks or the, or the church to do it. But you are the church and I'm the church of Jesus Christ. 
and we're called to get in the game. How about we focus on the church scattered instead of just the church gathered? When I say amen, you're going to be scattered in a thousand different directions. That's part of the brilliance of Jesus. You might be saying, well, I'm just a whatever. That's, that's who you are. I'm just. No, you're not just. You're strategically placed by the Lord to touch people. When you look at the 12 disciples, I want you, someone to tell me one pastor in the whole bunch. Not there. Jesus only called one religious guy, Paul. And then he had to go spend three, three years in the desert to get detoxed from Pharisee school. It's true. I'm telling you, you're called to ministry. It just looks different than what you've thought. But that's part of the problem. Let me get to the second point here quickly. Mm, I hate that clock. In, in Christian love, I hate that clock. All right, point number two. How many know we should expect kingdom prosperity that is overflowing into generosity? both individually and corporately. Look, look at, I'm going to give you a word association game here. I want you to tell me the same word in these three verses, all found within a couple, you know, sentences in the Bible. Verse 44, they shared everything they had. Verse 45, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Verse 47, they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. What word did you just hear me say three times? Share. Aha. The secret to kingdom prosperity is share. If you do this, thank you, Lord, the flow stops. If you do this, the flow keeps going. And if you keep doing this, even when things seem to be tight, God will show up in the miraculous. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. You're not going to be any good in the marketplace unless you're moving in kingdom prosperity so that you have more than enough for your own business and then to bless other people. Because it's in the blessing of other people when something magical happens and they experience a touch from the gospel. So can I, can I, I'm challenging you. Can all of you put away your, all the religious arguments we've ever heard which make a, uh, a monument out of being broke? And can I just, can I just preface this, okay, Pastor Ron is not preaching the prosperity gospel as all you've heard and everybody has their shields up again. But can I just tell you, God wants you to have more than enough. Yes. So you can bless. Yes. You can't bless anybody if you have to always be a recipient because you have nothing. So can, can we just all embrace this morning that God wants to prosper you? Yes. For our purpose. Not just so it stops, you're the cul-de-sac, it all stops in your lap. No, he wants to prosper you on purpose for a kingdom purpose so that we become conduits. How many of you have a home that you're going home to today? Here I go, pastor's setting me up. No, I'm not setting it. Well, a little bit. <laughs> How many of you know your home exists for ministry? I got to say that again. Your home exists for ministry. Here's the way I love it. Some of you, as you're choosing your homes, you're doing stuff like this. I want a home with a really big living room because we have to accommodate life group. 
Right, Amra? You had to have a, you couldn't just get any, any home. You had, to have a, you had to have a home with a certain volume, all right? Because you had a vision, you and Dawn, to fill your home. All of you should have a vision to fill your home. Well, how do we do that around living? So, well, we lots of ways, and you, and you don't have to be limited to the only way, but we have life groups. Courtney just said, could you fill your home with one extra person maybe around your table who's, who's going through a family crisis and be Jesus to them for six months or less? What an incredible use of your home because your home, listen to this, your home is a ministry center. Yes. And your kitchen table is a pulpit. I got to say that again. This is so good. Your kitchen table is a pulpit. This church was born from a football coach and a homemaker who opened their house every Sunday and allowed people to come from everywhere. And I remember... Sunday night, because it was always hard to get up on Monday because we stayed up so late, we had to kick people out of our house, not literally, but some people lingered. That's a good biblical word. They lingered. <laughs> they lingered till after midnight around our kitchen table because after the marriage ministry was over, people stayed around, ate crackers and cheese and whatever else we had in our house. But here's what happened. People met Jesus at the kitchen table. People got delivered on our living room floor from bondage. People got marriages healed on our couch. I started youth ministry in my grandma's apartment, leading teenagers to Christ in my grandma's apartment. You hear what I just said? Your kitchen table is one of the best pulpits you'll ever have. And your home, if you'll dedicate your home to Jesus and say, Lord, let what happens in our home be something that brings you glory, starting with me and starting with my marriage and starting with the way I treat my children. Lord, I dedicate my home to you and my table to you. In fact, I'm just letting the Holy Spirit lead. But what a great action step. Now, what if you went home and gathered your family around your kitchen table today after church? And you held hands, and you said, Lord, we consecrate this table. It's a gathering place. It's a place where people eat and laugh and share their hearts. What if we consecrated our kitchen table and our living room and our coffee tables and wherever else people gather? What if we consecrated them and invited the Holy Spirit into our home? And we said, Lord, this house exists for your glory what would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. Jesus would start pouring out his spirit in homes all across this community. We would be an unstoppable force. I got to shut up. I'm just going to give you the last three. I'm just going to give them to you. I can't even comment on them. Point number three, organic growth through personal transformation. How many of you know we don't want decisions for Christ? We want people rocked by Jesus. We want people having power encounters with the living God. Number four, favor with the community, especially those in authority over the city. This is all from Acts chapter 2. And lastly, 
hear this, a demonstration of God's miraculous power in the marketplace. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, the apostles were performing many miracles and signs and wonders among the people. Who are the apostles? They're marketplace people who encountered Jesus. Sometimes we say the apostles, the apostles. Can you go back to their roots? These people weren't born glowing in the dark or something, walking on water. These are people like you and me who encountered Jesus. Can you stand to your feet? Can I pray with you this morning? Anybody want more of God's presence moving through your life? Anybody want to be the church? Come on. I want to hear testimonies too. I really believe that was just the Lord. I had that's not in the notes, wasn't planned. Some of you need to go home and consecrate your home in that table to the Lord and just say, God, turn my home into a center of ministry. Lord, that's our prayer. Let the Holy Spirit be poured out in our home, and Lord, may we take you with us everywhere we go. We're going to bring Jesus to work tomorrow and every day this week. Lord, bless us. And Father, bless Courtney and the wonderful ministry she has. I pray many people run out there and see her and give her a big hug and encourage her and get some information. We love you. We honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down. All right, we want to love on you.